welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is usually a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels a chapter at a time, spoiler free. But in these special bonus episodes, we are talking about the His Dark Materials TV series on BBC and HBO. Beware, these episodes are not spoiler free and may contain spoilers for the original HDM trilogy, so if you haven't read them all, pop back when you're all caught up. This week we are discussing Season 2, Episode 5, The Scholar. And what an episode it is. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I can't contain my feelings any longer. I'm just going to have to come out and say it straight away. We are interviewing Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh my God. Ah! It's happening. It's finally happening. <laughs> Faye put on her big girl pants. I did. And she's been emailing back and forth for months and we have been sitting on this for so long and... It's very exciting to have a date in the calendar and to have already told you guys about it on social media. And now we get to just have a little scream about it in your ears. Ah. <laughs> so the day that we're recording this is the day before we're going to interview Lynn Manuel. So we haven't done it yet. And you might notice that we probably sound a little bit manic for most of this episode because we are sitting on a bunch of nerves right now. <laughs> I'm so excited. We have so We have so many questions. Thank you so much to everyone that submitted questions like... There's loads of overlap of like all the different questions. So we kind of smushed everything together and tried to get the most comprehensive list that we think we can fit into a one hour interview. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's going to be great. <laughs> exactly. I think one of my uh, favorite things about this whole situation with Lynn is that we, like Rich said, we'd been messaging back and forth on Twitter for a little bit. And I was at the dentist and my phone buzzed. And it was just, you know, just a DM from, from Lin-Manuel Miranda. And Rich was like, Lin just messaged us. And I was like, I'm at the dentist. Lin, you're going to have to wait until I've been to the dentist and then I will reply. And I'm like, that's one of the like weirdest, strangest, amazing thing that's ever happened in my life. Me being sat in a dentist's waiting room and then just my phone buzzing and it being Lin-Manuel Miranda. What the fuck? <laughs> This is the glamorous world we're living in now, Faye. Oh, it just shows how great the His Dark Materials community is. The fact that like everyone involved with it is so willing to talk to like us, our like pajama podcasting lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yep, yep. Haven't washed my hair in weeks, and <laughs> Lynn's still willing to, willing to talk to me. <laughs> well, in fairness, he doesn't know. That. He doesn't know. So. <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, I'm so excited for you all to hear it as well. Hopefully it goes well. That kind of leads into the other thing that we wanted to tell you about is that if you're listening to this on the Friday that this episode is released, we are supposed to release a book episode on Monday the 14th of December, but... Because we're busy freaking out. <laughs> yes, exactly. We had been arranging the interview for months, but uh, it didn't give us much time when the date got put in to be like, oh my God, we've got, to, we've got to do an interview and TV show episodes and book episodes. So we want to kind of deliver the best interview with Lin-Manuel that we can whilst keeping up doing the TV show, because obviously doing the TV show episodes are quite time sensitive. So we have decided to push back uh, chapter seven until the new year. 
and we will post maybe like a schedule or something on social media. We'll be doing the TV show episodes up until the end of the show. We're not taking a break from those, but we're just taking a little break from the book episodes and we'll be back with, like I said, chapter seven in the new year. And we're hoping that the Lin-Manuel interview will be early in the new year too. Yes, we will be sitting on that until the TV series has finished airing so that we can ask him all the spoilery questions without worrying about spoiling anything for you guys. Exactly. It's going to be the hardest thing in the world not to share it early but we're gonna be really good <laughs> i might just like deliberately take my time editing it and like just do like half an hour a day and then it doesn't feel like we're just sitting on it forever <laughs> exciting times over here very exciting times you know who we didn't see in this episode of the tv series Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> we didn't <laughs> shall we have a conversation about an episode that contains no lin whatsoever in a very sad circumstance <laughs> sure let's sure. do it let's do it <laughs> and again lin is not in this episode and yet we have spent at least five minutes of this episode talking about him even though he makes no appearance of course classic it, it's only proper <laughs> i suppose first of all we can't go on without this question did you have any snacks I, in my true fashion, cut it right up to the wire. And so was eating curry while I was watching. <laughs> was like eating my dinner while I was watching because I left everything too late and forgot about what time it was. But I did do homemade naan breads and they were bloody great and I will be doing them again. And I'm very proud of myself. And when you are allowed back into my home, when the tier system allows it, I will be making you a curry and I'm very excited for it. I'm into that. I'm into that. What did you snack on? I had little brownies and I had a donut as well, actually. I went I went for it this week. Do you know like those like little tiny little brownies that you get in like tubs from like Tesco mm, or the, whatever? The bites. Yeah, I had those and basically ate at least three quarters of them and then ate the rest today. As well it should be. As well it should be. <laughs> first things first, monkey in a seatbelt. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I have questions. I do. Did the monkey put the seatbelt on himself? Did Mrs. Coulter put the seatbelt on the monkey? Did Boreal put the seatbelt on the monkey? He would be too, he would be too scared of touching the monkey to put the seatbelt on the monkey. But both the image of the monkey belling himself in and Mrs. Coulter belling him in like a small child. Either. I'd be happy to know about either. I would be happy if it was literally the exact same scenario as with Boreal and Lyra when he turns around and explains to her how a seatbelt works like nonchalantly like she doesn't realize that that's him being like i know that you don't know how this works because you're from a different world but like also to the monkey just being like it's behind you pull it down if you <laughs> and then the monkey saying that like Aah. oh as always i saw some great tweets and one of them was just a picture of the monkey in the with the seatbelt on and it just said me in the mcdonald's car park waiting for my mom to come back with chicken nuggets <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my god so so good I was chatting to my mum on the phone today and I think one of the things that she said was like the monkey in a seatbelt was so cute oh so cute one thing that did catch my eye just before we even got the monkey in the seatbelt the previously on I might have said this in another episode so sorry if I have but Daphne in season one looks like a bloody baby (laughs) an absolute little baby and she looks so grown up now even though there wasn't much time between them shoot in the first season and the second but I think if you remember when we spoke to her I think she mentioned that she had like maybe a couple of months gap in between whereas Amir didn't he went straight from filming season one to season two whereas I think Daphne had a little bit of a break so she maybe had a little bit of a gruff spurt or something but she just looks so young in the first season I'm sure there's been like conscious costuming choices as well to like evolve her the way that she dresses and the way that the fit of her clothes 
as it goes on because like I am obsessed with the like cinched waist jumpsuit that she's got with the gorgeous embroidery around it the like denim but not denim like denim blue cotton maybe like linen jumpsuit oh I love it it's so nice again probably custom made so I probably can't get one for myself we can ask Caroline <laughs> you never know <laughs> ask for the pattern <laughs> please make all the patterns public so I can make everybody's wardrobes for myself <laughs> obviously we'll have so much to say about Coulter in this episode but in the first scene with her just staring at the woman with the baby, it just makes my heart like yeah. ache for her. But it's not even just that she's got a baby, it's that like she's simultaneously got a baby and then she's also got her laptop on the go and she's working and she's like a working mum, which is like the thing that Coulter is being prevented from being by her world like this whole kudos to the writers of this episode i now need to double check their names francesca gardner i think wrote this episode and i think leanne wellham wellham directed it so two women you can i was that was one of my notes actually you can you can absolutely tell tell. yeah you can definitely Mm -hmm, tell mm -hmm. and i'm very glad that this has happened that this episode was written and directed by women because if you want to go further into Coulter then you just have to like no offense to Jack Thorne who has done a very good job but he wouldn't have been able to do it justice because he hasn't had that experience there's so many little nuances to this episode that are so perfect there's little seeds of them in the books but as a couple of people that are reading the books from a feminist viewpoint as well we're picking up on a lot of stuff and being like well that's patriarchal bullshit as we're reading through but most people as you're reading through the books it doesn't stand out to you as like a main theme Whereas like in the TV series, yes, the patriarchy being bullshit is a massive theme of the TV series. And I'm so here for them bringing it out and like digging into it more than the books do. Absolutely. One of the things, and I know that this isn't in order, but I'm sorry, but I think one of the biggest things for us actually as a little podcast is we have talked many times about how Coulter would have behaved and would have gotten her power if she was able to do it in a different world or in a world that was less patriarchal and we have like fucking done that subject to death and I honestly didn't think that it would be something that they would go into in the tv series but I'm so glad that they've peppered that in she has seen it in front of her she's seen Dr Malone Dr Mary doing the stuff that she wants to do it's in front of her face now almost within reach that conversation she has with Boreal where she's like do you even know how many papers I have written I was like top of my class I passed all my exams but they wouldn't give me an official doctorate I've written so many papers that wouldn't even be published if I wouldn't let a man take the credit and like you could just see all the like simmering rage she's been feeling like bubbling up to the surface oh it's just it's heartbreaking to see it's literally her saying like i wouldn't be this person in this world i would have been given the credit i deserved and i might not have turned out the way that i've turned out if the world that i come from wasn't so shitty but like it's beautiful to like oh just finally see it coming out and on screen and boreal's reaction to it like the fuck boy is real in this like oh my god is so great. <laughs> They're like the perfect combination of like frustrating man baby and powerful but repressed woman. He's the biggest fuckboy in this episode. I hate it, but it's just so great. Like it's great TV and great writing. I think with Coulter, like she actually says, do you know who I could have been in this world? And it's just heartbreaking. And the scene with her and Mary, which is just amazing because it's just basically what they've done, which I appreciate, is... Give Ruth a scene with everyone. Yeah. <laughs> if in doubt, 
rhythm in a room with Ruth Wilson and you will make some TV gold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like when she's with Mary, she's looking at who she could have been. And it's so apparent that she is feeling all those feelings in that room with Mary. She's feeling so many feelings in that room with Mary. She's, oh she's seeing who she could have been. They're talking about Lyra. Mary says to her, you must be so proud of her. And Coulter's like a little bit taken aback by that. Because it's the first time, really, that somebody has attributed Lyra as being her, her daughter, Coulter's daughter. Ruth's face throughout that entire thing. And like, you just, you can see all the computing happening. It's just so beautiful. And that thing of like, Lyra wouldn't be getting complimented in her world. She's literally seeing Lyra through a new person's eyes and a new world's eyes. And you can see her being like, is this a relationship I could have had with my daughter if I'd supported her or is this the way that I could view my daughter if I take a step back or just like there's like a a grief in her eyes almost from like the loss of this like admiration and pride of the relationship that like Mary has for Lyra and that she almost wishes she could have there's so many little strings of like motherhood and maternal instinct trickling through the episode at the same time and then you can kind of see how her conversation with Mary is factored in to the way that she then like goes to like offer Lyra the alethiometer when the shit hits the fan. That moment where she's like, I heard you could read it. Perhaps we can read it together. And like, she's, she's like, oh, encouraging children is a way to control them. (laughs) Who'd have thought? What's so interesting for me, and I felt this in the books as well, the changes within Coulter towards Lyra do happen in the book to a certain extent. And you do see that like motherly love coming through for Lyra. And the most interesting thing about it for me is that it is there, but they're just both on different sides of this war. So you have Lyra fighting for the side that we are on because we follow Lyra as a protagonist. And then you have Mrs. Coulter on the other side of it, who's fighting against what Lyra is fighting for. And it's it's such an interesting dynamic to have Coulter come into her motherhood and want to protect Lyra and want to love Lyra and then have that other side where Lyra is actually, actually, Mrs. Coulter, mum, you are against everything that I believe and everything that I want to happen. And it's such an interesting dynamic. And I'm very interested to see how that progresses into like season three. Yeah, definitely. Panning way back to like initial Coulter and Boreal, when he first like takes her into his house to show her around, I am obsessed with the fact that her dress is the exact same colour as his house. The planning in that and the forethought in that of just how beautifully that all fits together. When he is showing off his collection and how proud he is of things, the deadpan boredom on her face is everything. Oh god, when he like hands her the piece that he's like, this is, I bought this for the price of a loaf of bread, but it's worth so much more in this world. And she like pretends to drop it. And the way that that like, from the moment she stepped through, he thought that he had the upper hand. From the moment she was in a new world, he was like, I've got the upper hand and I'm going to show this lady around and I'm going to protect her from this new world that I know so much about and I'm established in and she's going to need me so much. And then it's literally the moment she like pretends to drop that figure, you can see like a little crack start to happen in his head of like, do I not have all the power in this situation? Because she's just been letting him think it. When she says to him like, oh, is this what you've been doing with your time? Like collecting trinkets, 
did you just want to like add me to your collection? The way that his face reacts and he's just like lost all of the power in this situation. And then also you're like, he's not heartbroken because I don't think he loves it. I think he's like a little bit butthurt. <laughs> he's like, I thought that we could share it as equals. And he know he doesn't mean the word equals at all because he's made it abundantly clear by the way that he's referred to like the women in this world oh the little like power relationship dynamic that's going on between them throughout the entire thing had me on the edge of my seat (laughs) totally when she almost drops that thing it's so fucking goofy it's such a goofy call to move and like i know that like you said i completely agree with you that there's like a power dynamic in that but it's something that i would do like it just seems like so goofy to me to be like whoops (laughs) Like it's, I, I really liked it. The other thing that I wanted to say about their like power dynamic, and there's so much to say, but fucking Boreal sat on the sofa when Mrs. Coulter is talking about Asriel. You literally see him lean back and put like his fingers on the top of his nose as if to be like, the fuck are we talking about this guy for? And it just reminds me of like, I'm sure so many people listening to this who have like fucking dated a fuckboy or have been near one at some time you mentioned anything about your past relationships like exes like people you've slept with whatever and had that reaction from a fuckboy i definitely have it's like oh i'm sorry am i not allowed to talk about this shit her reaction though of being like he's like why are we talking about Azriel? and she's like we're not talking about Azriel. we're talking about me and it's like yes Yes, we are talking about you, Coulter, and I will always want to talk about you. (laughs) Totally. Before she says that, him saying, like, Asriel seduced and abandoned you, it's taking any ownership away that she had in that situation, which is why she obviously says, we're not talking about Asriel, we're talking about me. It's a classic patriarchal move to be like, oh, you poor, poor dainty woman, you had no say in this man seducing you. And it's like, no, she was her own woman in that moment. She chose those things with Asriel. And whether she now regrets those choices or not, they were her decisions to earn and him just being like, oh, poor lady. She's like, no, actually, you know what? We're still talking about me. Fuck Asriel. This was part of my life as well. And it was my decision and my choice to make. Also, it's all part of his fantasy, right? Of like, this woman that uh, scares and intimidates other people. I see her as the victim that she truly is. And I'll take her in. I'll take her on. I'll provide for her in this new world where she's just a, a, a poor little lady with like no understanding of how it works. Like he's absolute like hero complex and admitting that she had any agency in the situation would take away from that hero complex that he's clearly kind of got for himself at this point of like rescuing her because she was like used and abandoned and all of this stuff and it's like well if you admit that she has agency in that situation that means that you fancy someone that in any other scenario you would brand a slut and you can't have that, so you've taken away her agency and made her, like, the victim. Yeah, she has been made a victim by society of the situation, but the situation itself, she was not a victim of until society fucked her over at the end of it. <sighs> oh my god, so much to unpack in this episode, <laughs> but one thing that we must now talk about is the fucking Lighthouse family. <laughs> you know what? I don't think I'd even really heard of the Lighthouse family before this episode. Now... I keep popping up everywhere today. Do you know the song? I don't even know if I do, you know. It just sounded very generic to me. Oh, it's so 90s. It's classic 90s. And that was one of my notes. It was like, of course Boreal has picked a song from the 90s that literally nobody cares about anymore. No offence to the Lighthouse family. Personally, loved that song. My parents had their album. It was great. But of course he did that. Of course he did. It's just classic 
Boreal. Classic fuckboy. And he's talking about his fucking speakers like she gives a fuck. And again, that reminded me of so many women and people who have dated fuckboys in the past have had this, where you're just like, I could not give less of a shit of what you're doing right now and what you're showing me. Stop showing off about your technology. You may as well just get your dick out and wave it around. But also please don't do that because I'm please not don't. Here for yeah. either. <laughs> what I am 100% here for is that Coulter is not having any of it. He's showing off about the piece of the Berlin Wall that he has in his collection and she interrupts him and he's showing off about his speakers and she interrupts him because she doesn't care and she doesn't care about bruising his ego by telling him that he is being boring as fuck and I love it I love it I love it I'm really here oh, for it oh god you know what else I'm really here for mm. a classic throwback to the books when she picks up the pair of jeans that Boreal's bought for her oh, <laughs> and like just throws them on the floor and it feels like a perfect little reference for me to when Lyra refuses to wear jeans in the book which I'm glad they've cut out. It's impractical. But Coulter refusing to wear jeans, I am so here for because she is far more high fashion than a pair of jeans. Absolutely. Yeah, just that moment at first when we uh, when we first saw it, I was like, ew, why has Boreal got loads of women's clothes? And then obviously it makes sense that he went out and bought them all for Coulter. But like he also does that weird creepy thing where she asks him to leave the room. And he does that thing before he leaves and he like turns around as if to be like, are you sure you want me to leave the room? And she's like, yeah get out he just like a weird little sigh or something mm. as well it's just he's very predatory in that first couple of scenes with Coulter and Oxford when they he very first gets her into the house and he like locks his door and sets his security system it feels like a trap and you can see it in his eyes that he knows that he's locking her in and then even when he's unlocking his to go into his collection it's very much like I am in control of all the areas in this house kind of thing. Do you know what that just made me think of as well? Is the fact that like he's done that. So like you said, he's like locked her in. He's in, He thinks he's in control. It's his house. And then she's just walked into his house and completely taken control of everything that happens in that house. And it's not even a fucking world. She's never been in this world before. She has no idea what's going on. And yet she still manages to take control of the situation. And I'm just like, oh my God. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Question. When Coulter, she's dressed in her normal clothes now, which she looks great in, still got that like hint of Coulter about them. We like it. We like it. One, she shuts the monkey. I think we should talk about the monkey separately, actually, but she shuts the monkey in the bedroom, which is heartbreaking. And she goes downstairs and she asks Boreal for his keys. Is she driving? This is what I'm wondering. Is it his car keys or his house keys that she's asking for? Is it so that she can lock the door behind her and get back in when she wants to come home or has she just decided that by watching Boreal drive she's learned how to drive? <laughs> I mean as someone that it took five times to pass my driving test I would definitely say that you can't just watch someone drive and then know how to drive but also I know how amazing and intelligent Coulter is so maybe that's something she could do but it takes a lot to learn how to drive a car. I feel like they have motor cars in Lyra's world, but in the past she's had a driver. But has she had a driver because that is what is proper and a sign of her status? Or does she need a driver because she can't drive? Perhaps she can drive like a motor car, motor car, and she's like, oh, it can't be that different. I mean, probably is quite different, <laughs> like an old fashioned one to a new one, but who knows? Also, Boreal's car's like a spaceship. He's got like a weird like sideways door and... He's got a DeLorean door, Back to the Future car door. Yeah, it's a weird one. I don't know, but either way, I'm here for it. A woman that can just get into a car and drive it with no experience? Hello. <laughs> Call me. <laughs> Unrealistic. <laughs> But sure. Yeah, very unrealistic. Definitely. As somebody that has never had a single driving 
lesson in my entire life. The idea of getting in, like, I actually regularly have nightmares about being asked to drive a car and not being Mm, able to. That's interesting. Like, taking the wheel and driving a car and being like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. (laughs) Just trying to drive. To this day, I will say, slight sidebar, I don't know if anybody else feels like this, but to this day, my driving tests, and I did five of them, passed fifth time, were the worst experiences of my life in terms of, like, educational experiences. Because it's my worst nightmare to have somebody sat watching you do something and, like, judging you and writing stuff down about you as you're doing it. That completely fucking throws me off. And I saw Jack Thorne tweet about this the other day, and it made me laugh so much because I had this exact experience. He was saying that on one of his driving tests, he just drove down the wrong side of the road and I did that same thing. So that's how nervous I got in my driving test. I am actually a very good driver and I like driving, but my test, I would never do it again. If they said to me, you have to do another test or you can't drive again, I'd be like, I'm not driving again. (laughs) It's fine, I don't need it. (laughs) No way. Anyway. Can Coulter drive? It's a question. It's a question to ask. I would like to know because she demanded those keys with such confidence. Can she drive though? Who knows? Who knows? For the little monkey prick, I think this is the little monkey prick's best episode so far in both seasons. From monkey in a seatbelt all the way through to heartbroken monkey at window he has done some stellar face acting oh my god yeah and i think the vfx is it was amazing in season one but god they've stepped it up massively that monkey looks so good there's like a shot where i think it's when colter comes back from seeing mary and the monkey's waiting for her in the hallway and there's like a moonbeam that's like on the monkey and it just looks so fucking good and i I don't know. I just want to cry about it a little bit. When he's at the window and she shuts him in the bedroom. There's so many feels. <laughs> yeah. And the window vibe is very like your dog or your cat, like watching you go to work or like watching you leave the house being like. Mm. Also that as a shocking moment for book readers, I am obsessed with how well they've been able to shock fans of the books in ways that feel so correct. For me, for my reading of them, the moment she walked away, I was like, oh, they've taken that Coulter continually being questioned, how are you so far away from your demon, in like various bits throughout Northern Lights and like occasionally elsewhere. They've taken that to its full like conclusion of like, yeah, like of course she can and she knows it and she's going to use it to her advantage and she's going to rub it in Boreal's face and make him feel stupid. And I think it all goes back to what she says about self-control because right at the end of the episode where she's sat on the step with Boreal and they're sulking, which is great. And they're talking, he's talking about the spectres and how they can't go into Chittagatse because they're spectres. And she says something like, once you understand something, you can master it. It just kind of all goes into that kind of sense of she's so in control of herself and she's so fucking confident that she has never even seen a spectre or know what it even does really. Like Boreal explains it a tiny bit, but she hasn't seen it with her own eyes. She knows that she can master them. Like, can you imagine having that confidence? I fucking wish I had that. I would have passed my driving test first time. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I love her, like her eagerness to learn and her like keenness to like, she hears about something she's never heard of before and you see her eyes light up. It's like this simultaneously like curiosity and keenness to learn, but it's not for the sake of learning and 
understanding the world it's for understanding how she can manipulate it gain control of it and use it to her advantage and it's like it's so captivating to watch really sinister but very captivating (laughs) (laughs) but yeah the monkey it's kind of the abuse of the monkey is sometimes difficult to see because it's that dependency on i suppose each other but mostly the monkey at this point on mrs coulter the I'm going to shut you in a room and leave you and be cruel to you and hit you and do all these horrible things, knowing that the monkey will always come back to her because it's a part of her and it has to. It has no other choice. Um, and you see it like taking every little grain of like gratitude that it can from her, like when he picks up the alethiometer and like hands it back to her and she says thank you. And like, even though it's never spoken, you can just tell that all it wants is that gratification and that like approval from mrs coulter he just wants to be loved by her it is heartbreaking to watch and the only thing that pulls you out of feeling heartbroken for him is when he does something horrible and you know that the parts of coulter that are being horrendous to the monkey are the parts of the monkey that are horrendous to other people and their demons it's all really toxic and it's all really hard to watch but it's also all part of building that character out and making her so much fuller and making that relationship so heartbreakingly interesting. Yeah, you're right. It's really hard to watch sometimes, but also like the fact that they have made a CGI monkey heartbreaking to watch. And also like, he is a moral quandary, that monkey. Like, do you feel bad for him? Do you condemn him? Do you like simultaneously like being like, oh, what an absolute prick. And also, oh God, I just want to give him a hug. It's really, it's really, it's a big conflict of emotion. It really is, truly. (laughs) All from a CGI monkey. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, right? It just shows how much of a fucking amazing job that they did with it. Uh, One of the things that I wanted to bring up was that somebody tweeted us last night about they were watching with the subtitles on and they've named the monkey. So the monkey obviously doesn't have a name in the books, but is it the radio adaptation that it has a name? I think it was in the radio play that they gave him a name for the sake of it being obvious who's talking to who or what's happening with what. I can't remember what that name is actually. Ozymandias. They've used that same name for the subtitles. And I wonder if that was a decision from the actual team so like jane tranter dan mcculloch or who writes the subtitles just put it in do you know what i mean i don't know like was it was it a conscious choice or did did it just come up from someone who wrote the subtitles i feel like i read somewhere that philip isn't a super big fan of the name and wasn't keen to name him and that it is a deliberate decision not to name him so part of me wants to kind of put it to one side and ignore it because giving him a name does completely change that dynamic with him. He shouldn't have a name, in my opinion, also. I agree with Phil. So whilst it's, like, super interesting to know if he had a name, what that name might be, I'm I'm not treating it as canon or anything. <laughs> Do you know what, actually, what is canon that we've now decided? Will doing Lyra's hair. And Lyra's hair looked absolute fucking fire in this episode. She looked amazing. And I just want to say, good job, Will. You fucking nailed that hair today. Loved it. Also, good job, hair department. But also, yeah, good job, Will. (laughs) No, Will. It was Will. (laughs) In universe, Will is still doing Lyra's hair. Out of universe, well done, hair hair and makeup. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I've segued us so beautifully, shall we talk about Lyra and Will? Yes. I said this last week, but I love them i love them so much so much i love how quippy they're being and when they do the window and they're like why are we whispering and it's so cute and then lyra's like you left the window open oh love it when 
they're like walking along and he's like undone a window and zipped it up and like Pan looks at Lyra and he's like he's getting really good at this and Lyra looks back and he's, she's like yeah he is and like they're both just like so proud of him oh and it's adorable and also when Will's like you're probably just gonna want to like beat him up and take the alethiometer and Lyra's like no I had a much better plan than that and Pan's like no you didn't and she's like shut up Pan it is the Will Lyra Pan dynamic that we all signed up for and I'm really loving those moments definitely (laughs) god it's so great the build up of their relationship is so wonderful and it was the perfect amount this episode because we had such a strong dynamic with like Coulter and Boreal and Mary as well in that and then at the end with all four of them it would have been too much to try and build too much onto Will and Lyra in this episode but I think they did the perfect amount like the perfect like amount of being pretty funny but then being really sincere especially at the end where they're talking they're having a conversation about their parents and Lyra saying like oh I wish I was more like more Costa or Lee Scoresby and Will's like they'd be lucky to be anything like you honestly I'm loving the relationship dynamic between Lyra and Will in part because They're not lifting each other up to put on a pedestal and think too much of. They're both very accepting of each other's thoughts, but like they're still like lifting each other up and like boosting each other in a way that's just so lovely and like it's very heartwarming and they just need to stop. (laughs) Do you know what I will say about Will and Lyra's relationship? And it's something that I feel about the books as well. This is a spoiler. I don't know. I know we always do the spoiler warnings, but spoiler. One of the things I love the most about them is that obviously at the end of the Amber Spyglass, they end up in a romantic place. But I think it's one of the first times that I've ever read a book that involved children that were going to end up together at the end, whether they actually end up together or not. Let's not talk about that because I will cry. But it's their friendship that you care about more for me personally. The way that it's built up in the books, if they didn't like have that romantic connection, nothing would be lost that like their friendship is so strong and the way that they connect it like kind of transcends whether it ends up as a romantic relationship or not it's so wonderfully strong and wonderfully beautiful and i really think that they are getting there in the tv series with that and you're you're really seeing that dynamic and sometimes part of me wonders like this is just me going off on a little bit of a tangent here but sometimes part of me wonders whether i would have preferred it if their relationship had stayed as a friendship but still have that be be everything that it is in the books but just be a friendship at the end rather than a romantic relationship at the end interesting that's one of my like things that i find really annoying that happens in movies is like two protagonists spend a whole film becoming like really good friends and like relying on each other for a bunch of stuff and like forming this amazing relationship. And then in the last like three minutes, they'll kiss and it's like, they didn't need to. They could have just found another human that is a great part of their support network as a friend and not done a kiss. Exactly. And it's one of the reasons why I drink, love Harry and Hermione. I thought you were saying, and it's one of the reasons why I drink. It's one of the reasons why I drink. (laughs) Let me tell you that right now. (laughs) One of the many reasons why I drink. Hollywood romance (laughs) is one of the many reasons why I drink. But yeah, it's one of the reasons why I love Harry and Hermione, because they they have a very similar, they actually have a very similar vibe to Will and Lyra, but they just don't end up in that romantic place. I'm not saying that I hate that it ends up there. I'm just saying that... Nothing would be gained or lost. Exactly. And I think also because I've grown up with a lot of very platonic male friends I like to see that represented definitely and yeah I'm really loving the place that they're both in at the moment and again all the face acting that they're doing that Daphne and Amir are doing towards each other is absolutely stellar 
One of the most heartbreaking incidences of that face acting is when they bump into Angelica and Paola. Oh my God. With Tulio and they are essentially like grieving to him, with him, for him. It is heartbreaking. Angelica is heartbreaking to watch. Paolo is heartbreaking to watch. That entire interaction... This little moment when Lyra's voice breaks, when she's like, we didn't mean to, or like, we didn't. And like her being like, I know how it feels. Like I've lost people too. And like, oh yeah, that's so intense. And also it's so intense all from like such young actors and such young characters is so beautiful to see. And like also heartbreaking. (laughs) It's a really, really good scene. And I think it's one of the best scenes I've seen for a long, long time that just involves children and is so strong. And I think Bella Ramsey especially is amazing in that scene. She's so good. I feel like it levels everyone up a little bit. Not that I don't think that Daphne and Amir would have gone to that place, but I think having one person in the scene that is super duper duper strong, it kind of levels everybody else up. Oh, if someone pulls that out of the bag, you know you've got to do something pretty big in response, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so I think like Daphne and Amir, Amir especially in that scene, really like broke me emotionally. <sighs> I'm finding it difficult to articulate my feelings today because this is a very emotional episode. And I know we say it every week, but this one especially was very emotional. We watched this episode with each other in headphones and were literally shouting at each other through <laughs> a lot of the scenes because they were either like, this is too much, this is too sad, or oh my God, they did not. Like, aside from when Pan got kicked oh my God. last episode, this episode has elicited the most vocal responses from me so far in the entire series, I think. Just the drama, you know? The drama, <laughs> the yeah. Drama. Totally. The drama. Yeah, they've definitely, this entire episode, I feel like, has levelled up and what are they going to do next week? With Will and Lyra, I love that they've kind of kept it simple with their, like, hunting around, trying to find the right place to cut through. Watching it through, it feels like what's happening is we're actually watching a Boreal and Coulter episode and side-cutting to Will and Lyra to find out how, where they're positioned fits in with where Boreal and Coulter are at the moment. And that really works. With the way the entire scenes are built, with Will and Lyra realising they need to go down to the basement to cut through and the basement architecture being exactly like um, Boreal's architecture or Latram's architecture in his house. Like we were having a little conversation about this. Like I think I mentioned last episode that I really liked how his house felt like Chittagatze. And then now we see that it that's because it's a perfect like replication of that room in a lot of architectural places. And like, is that deliberate character wise? It's clearly a very deliberate set choice, but Character-wise, is it a deliberate decision from Boreal to have built that room in the same way, in the same place? Like, has he been to the base of that tower or not? Mm, Yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting thought. Or is it just one of those things like the initials on the fence or little world things lining up? Mm. One thing that I will just say while we're just on, on them cutting windows, trying to find out like where to cut to... Why don't they just cut a tiny window like they do when they see Boreal on the sofa? Cut a tiny window, stick a hand through it, grab the alethiometer, done. Well, that's the question that everybody's asking. (laughs) (laughs) Even in the books, even in the books. It makes no sense, aside from the fact that it's far more interesting and dramatic if they don't. I mean, I'm glad they don't, because if they didn't, you know, cut a massive 
window and Will stepped through, then we wouldn't have had Will being shocked by the monkey and thinking it was a wild monkey, maybe. It's like, when he's like, it'll hurt you. Stay, yeah. He's <laughs> like, what do you, you've met Pan, you know what a demon is. Like, how do you not realise that this random golden monkey isn't just a random fucking monkey? Because if Boreal owned a monkey, do you not think that you might have seen it when you've been like casing his house or like when you visited last time? I don't know. Yeah, I suppose that I kind of agree with you in that sense, especially because of Will's emotional intelligence. I feel like you would see that that monkey was connected to someone, but I will give him the benefit of the doubt because he is cutting through into his own world where demons aren't true. a thing. And also he's the tension is very heightened. So we'll forgive him this one time. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that when Will cuts that initial eye hole to peep through, it just conveniently is only pointed at Boreal. Yeah. And then also the fact that uh, Lyra's like, I wish we could just punch him in the head and nick it. <laughs> Do these windows not let sound through? Because <laughs> otherwise, like, a little hole's just opened in your in the middle of your living room, floating in the air, and a voice has gone, I wish you could just punch him in the head and nick it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think she says it differently to that. but That's what they end up doing. That is exactly how it ends up <laughs> happening this whole scene is so fucking stressful from start to finish even watching it for the second time knowing what was going to happen and then the third time knowing what was going to happen i was like this is too much for my little heart to take it's so much to take in first i want to talk a little bit about will and boreal will is so strong in this scene, he smashes him against the wall so hard that a glass cabinet breaks. That is like a 15-year-old doing that to a grown-ass man. It's really intense. And also, again, Will just casually punching with the hand that's missing two fingers and is bandaged up and is clearly in a lot of pain because he's in the heat of the moment and... Also, we have to we have to give Will credit for slicing that fucking, like... Yes! ...thing in half, that little uh, artefact or whatever it, it is. I'll cut it, I'll cut it, he says, hold it up like a polystyrene sculpted prop. <laughs> <laughs> and also Boreal's like, oh, when yeah. he does. Is that the same one that Coulter almost dropped? Because that poor ornament has been through too much. <laughs> it must be. But it's so fucking deserved because Boreal brings up Will's mum and it makes me hate Boreal so much. I already dislike him, but him fucking chatting shit about how something might happen to Elaine. And she's no. so vulnerable. Ugh. Yeah. Fucking grim. I am obsessed with Arian Bakari's performance here because... Boreal, season one through to maybe last episode, has been like, oh my God, he's stone cold. Oh my God, he's such a great villain. Oh my God, he's so ambitious. Oh my God, he's really hot in that suit. <laughs> and then there's been like little bits of sexism kind of dropped in throughout. But this episode, they have like doubled down on Boreal is a shit. <laughs> like he is a horrible man with horrible opinions who is so divisive and like it goes from like oh he's like a cool calm collected villainous character that i actually kind of think is quite sexy and have a lot of respect for to oh you're you're just a fuck boy oh man <laughs> like oh you're just like a sexist pig that just wants to like show off the things that you got by ill-gotten gains and like is manipulative and horrid and selfish and just none of the like cool calm collected slightly underdog ambition that we've been seeing i will say that i think he makes a jump from being so when i think about a fuckboy i think about someone that is arrogant and shitty but is kind of harmless but i think he moves from being a fuckboy to a rampant misogynist in this episode. 
he does not hold back from talking about his disdain for women. Obviously so that he can get matched by Coulter, but it really, yeah, it levels him up in his uh, villainness. One thing that I just saw in my notes is, my dear Carla, if you actually got me, you wouldn't know what to do with me. Oh, so yes, hot. yes, 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 yes. Also, I didn't really, I kind of forgot that Boreal's first name is Carlo, so Carlo Boreal or Charles Latram. I don't know why you'd choose Charles Latram as a name when you could be Carlo Boreal, because that's far more exciting. The only thing, whenever I see the, the name Latram, I always think, oh, it's mortal backwards. But does that mean anything? Eh, maybe. <laughs> Were you trying to work it out in your head then? <laughs> no, I was just like thinking like, oh, maybe he's just pulling like a Tom Riddle move. And like, he thinks that he's being clever by picking an anagram as his name. And it's like, no, oh, honey, no. <laughs> no, it's actually really <laughs> easy to figure cool. out. <laughs> <laughs> this big fight. When Lyra runs into the room and sees Coulter... Everything stops, and I'm so here for it. I'm so here for the intensity that they managed. Coulter offering up the alethiometer to Lyra and trying to, like, form a bond with her and just Daphne's face acting. The face acting. Ugh. So good. So good. And then the moment when Lyra says, like, I am nothing like you, and then does the exact mirror of season one Coulter going, and they're, like, pan attacking. And he's a Wolverine again, which we love to see. Fun fact, on the phone to my mum earlier today, she was like, what was the animal that Pan turned into when he was attacking the monkey? I was like, oh, it was a wolverine. And mum went, oh, one of the children that I taught at school got bit by a wolverine on a zoo trip. (laughs) I was like, mum, you can't expect me not to tell this on the podcast. Please tell me more. It's back in the 80s, before health and safety assessment things were a thing. And before they like double lined cages in zoos because now you couldn't reach a child's finger through a cage to be bitten by a wolverine. But yeah, back in the 80s when mum was like a brand new baby teacher teaching babies, she took the kids to the zoo on a field trip and a little boy got bit by a wolverine and classic 80s vibes. Apparently the parents were just like, oh, he shouldn't have been sticking his fingers through the cage anyway. There was no fuss kicked up whatsoever, which just wouldn't happen They just today. put some paper towels on it. <laughs> yeah, and they just made sure he had his tetanus shot and that was it. <laughs> That was that. But also just imagine being like, yeah, I got bit by a wolverine. Wow. I didn't even know what a wolverine was until this season of His Star Materials started. I love that that's what is the memory that got triggered for my mum when I was like, oh, I think he was a wolverine. Bless her heart. (laughs) But yeah, I'd love to see him as a wolverine again. Love that scene so much. And again, I, I said this at the top of the episode, but when Coulter is... She's being sincere when she's talking to Lyra at this point. I really believe it. She She wants to be there for her and help her and be her mother whether that means protecting her from what she thinks is going to happen to her and all that kind of stuff but yeah the demon fight is such a great addition and also fucking ruth's face again when she's like when the monkey's been hurt and she's like on the floor it is everything god uh, it really is. is so intense and then the moment when she like starts to master the pain the fear that comes into Lyra's eyes when she sees Mrs. Coulter like mastering the pain and beginning to stand up and the like horror of like how can your demon be experiencing this pain and you're coming back to standing and like that scene is everything. I'm so obsessed with it. I'm so obsessed with when Will dashes back through the window and Lyra dashes back through the window and Pan dashes back through the window and the monkey tries to go through the window but it's closed and he bashes into the wall. Oh, oh bless him. Monkey. It's been through so much this episode. That monkey has had the shit beat out of him this episode emotionally and physically and 
he just needs a hug. <laughs> oh, he really does. I know that when they're sulking on the stairs, I know that you would like Ruth laid across those stairs as your screensaver. <laughs> yeah, that is just congrats on the colour palette that has been chosen for this entire episode. I love it. I've said before, I love the cool blues in Boreal's house and how well they suit Arian and his whole vibe and how well it also suits Ruth. And who'd have thought that Ruth in that like fuchsia pink shirt would fit so well in that room. And then when she's like laid across those steps, like, I'm sorry, just cut Arian out of the picture. I don't need him. I just need (laughs) Ruth on the steps in that pose. Oh, as my screensaver. Thank you very much. (laughs) So great. Shall we talk about Mary? Well, okay. We're going to really enjoy talking about Mary. Shall we? briefly cut to the one scene that we can't really be asked to talk about but that is kind of important with the magisterium (laughs) i kind of forgot about it i I forgot about it literally my note on this is i don't want to be mean but like these are the bits i enjoy the least i just don't want to see a bunch of white men sat around talking about how they hate women it's just not my vibe it's not my jam (laughs) it's not my bag baby it's not my bag baby (laughs) But I also understand that there'd be no threat without them. So we need it. But I'm just like, oh, God. My friend Ellie, shout out to Ellie again, sent me a great message that is um, the magisterium as they realise that they have a spider, a lizard, a beetle, and like a cockroach, all their different demons. Look at their demons. Look at each other. Are we the bad guys <laughs> are we the bad guys it's like a it's like a meme from like a mitchell and webb look, look sketch of like oh, it's so great. great i didn't realize i'm sure you felt this as well didn't think i could hate father graves anymore oh, and then God. his horrible little spider like crawls up onto his shoulder and it is super grim that whole vibe him being like and worst of all women <laughs> like get out uh i can't even remember what that was in reference to but just the fact that like the vitriol with which he says like spits the word women out is so indicative of his bullshit speaking of failure father mcphail <laughs> uh, i think you'll find it's cardinal mcphail it's cardinal mcphail <laughs> speaking of failure cardinal mcphail <laughs> After he's had his entire conversation, it's like, find out where she's gone. And then poor little Frau Pavel's just like, what? what? Who? What? Who? Who? What? And he's like, Coulter, of course. Aren't we all thinking about her all the time? I mean, we are. And I'm like, yes, we are. <laughs> uh, so we will hopefully get more information on that. Yeah. In a few weeks, because obviously we know it takes some fucking ages to read the alethiometer. Oh. <laughs> anyway. Can we now talk about Mary, please? Yes, we can. (laughs) Oh, Mary, how we love you. So one thing that I will say is that whenever Mary speaks, I want to cry. I just, she has this like kindness and like warmth to her that is there in every single thing that she says. And I just love it so much. I love her so much. I love the way that she speaks about Lyra. I want her to speak about me that way. Uh, (laughs) Please. I was just really obsessed with how earnest she is when she's speaking to Mrs. Coulter. And she's like, oh, experimental theology. Like, tell me more about that. Have you published any papers? And she's so like keen and eager and like just super happy to be chatting to another woman in science whom she knows she adores the daughter of. And like, it's just such a lovely interaction. And, but Mary is not super great at doing a thing where she turns her back on people that have a tendency of disappearing in a wisp. (laughs) It's just the moment she like goes to make a coffee. It's like, obviously Coulter's going to walk out. She's a perfect mix of 
being suspicious and not being afraid to tell you to get the fuck out. Like when Coulter walks in at first, she's like, I do not want this go away because she thinks that she is, I don't know, she thinks she's to do with like the police or Boreal or whatever from last week. Coulter does a good job of kind of hoodwinking her for a little bit. And when she realizes that, oh, this is an experimental theology and I want to know more, like you just said, she can turn it off really easily and be like, oh, welcome. I welcome you with open arms. And I like that mixture of being like, I know what's going on and I'm not going to take any shit from anyone, but also I am an extremely kind person. I think it's very rare to meet a person like that that has that mix. Yeah, and so close to the surface. Oh, she's just so great. I am here for the conversation she had with the cave, the intense conversation. She's told to play the snake. She seems confused. It's all very cryptic. So she goes home and she cracks open a Bible. Sure. <laughs> I really like the line that the cave says, save the girl and the boy. Your work here is finished. We will not speak again in this world. So intense. So intense. So good. She does such a perfect job of being absolutely nonplussed and yet completely willing to go along with it. Like she doesn't have, she has a clue, like she's a very intelligent woman, but she doesn't have a clue what's going on. <laughs> but she is like trusting, which is... I would be like, oh, I don't know, this doesn't seem... <laughs> She's like, cool, off I go. I would like to just give an honourable mention to the cave for being the most dramatic bitch. I love it so much. Such oh drama. <laughs> we knew, we always knew that Dust was sassy. But <laughs> did we know it could be this sassy? I don't know. It's nice that we get a little scene with her and her sister again. Yeah, I'm really here for that. I'm really here for... <sighs> As somebody that is regularly told that they need to take a break, um, regularly says, I need to take a break, and then proceeds to not take any breaks, uh, I'm really here for that conversation between Mary and her sister, where Mary's like, I think we're going to take a break. And her sister's like, oh, finally, <laughs> we've been waiting for this. Not because she's like, oh, finally, but like because she's like, we, we've had genuine, honest conversations about this, where you've told me you're exhausted and you still carried on working and I'm concerned for you. And this is a wonderful sisterly moment. And then she offers up the house in Devon. <laughs> She's like, mm, I think I'm going a little bit further than Devon. Oh, you're going abroad. <laughs> I can uh, say that. <laughs> uh, again, she didn't get the memo that she's in a fantasy thing, but I love it. I love the like normal humans existing in their normal lives while all this crazy stuff's going on. Yeah, Mary, even if you weren't being sent on a magical adventure that definitely doesn't count as a break, you would probably do well for taking a break. When she goes to deceive the guardian next to the window her doing that or her attempting to do that is so me like i cannot lie and i can't trick people and she's just like uh i work for latrim security my latrim security boss so I, I left it at work and then that god like oh actually do you know what do you think it's destiny that he's like oh mrs coulter and she's like yes and it makes it easy because she's obviously not very good at tricking people or do you think that he's just really fucking shit at his job <laughs> I don't know, because the moment that he said, have you not got your Latrim security pass? And she went, Latrim security pass, as if she'd never heard any of those <laughs> words in any combination in her life. <laughs> that was kind of a clue. And she's like, oh, I left it at work. And it's like, well, what are you doing here if you're not at work? Why would you be here? Anyway, I feel like you'd have to say it was something dusty going on, because it certainly cannot be sheer dumb luck. It certainly is not her ly lying skills, because she didn't really dis well. The only reason she deceived him is because he was easy to deceive that day, I think. I mean, that man needs to either be fired or go through some security training. You can't just be like, be like, oh, you're this person. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I'll just give you the name of the person you can pretend to be, shall I? I think it was obviously like 
key that she was like, oh, I'll ring Charles because like calling him so casually by the first name is like, yeah. It was so obviously a bluff, like <laughs> literally exactly how I would have been like, oh, I'll, I'll phone Charles. Dramatic turnaround to phone Charles. Like she's not phoning Charles. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> yeah. Here is me. I'm picking up the phone right now. Hello, Charles. <laughs> Yes, there's a man here and he won't let me in. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> and then the guy's just there sweating, like, don't fire me. <laughs> and then her phone starts ringing while she's on the phone. Oh God, and yeah, she's like, yeah, yeah. oh, oops, don't know how that happened. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, then she goes through into Chittagatse. Very well prepared, I will say, with her big backpack and her sensible shoes and her sensible coat. You love to see it. And she will be protected. She will be. Also, the moment she like walks into that tent and she's obviously expecting to find something in the tent and then she like has to go through the other side of the tent and it's just kind of like, she just doesn't have a fucking clue what she's getting herself into here, does she? At all. And then she steps into a whole other world and is like, mind blown. Oh God, yeah, in her backpack. And she looks like she's going on a Duke of Edinburgh. Yeah, she, <laughs> yeah, she does. Oh, she does. I love her so much. Oh, She's so prepared. She looks like, yeah, she looks like a teacher doesn't she she looks like a teacher that chaperoning a school trip i'm so obsessed i'm so obsessed me too we kind of had a conversation with will and lyra talking about their parents but there was a line that i wanted to pick up that was will saying i've been scared for my mother but i've never been scared of my mother and i think that that's really significant in terms of like will seeing for the first time like lyra's mentioned her mom being scary before but like he's never witnessed it or had reason to like understand it fully and that that was a really beautiful moment between the two of them of him kind of mentioning it and them just sharing a bit more about their families was really like a really big thing yeah and again shows them getting closer together in that journey for them and also i will just say very short very quick mrs malone doctor yeah yes <laughs> oh god we're gonna end on this very important ship that i have which is sure colter move to will's world do it. Why not? Don't shack up with Boreal. Shack up with Mary yes, because she uh, will teach you about feminism. She will like show you all the amazing things that you could have if you use this still sh slightly shitty patriarchal world, but significantly less shittily patriarchal than your own world, world to your advantage. And like how to do being a good empathetic person and still being good at doing science and being able to be a doctor and have your own goddamn office. I feel like they would be really good for each other because I also be. think that like Mary has a no bullshit attitude, but also Coulter could definitely bolster that no bullshit attitude from Mary and they would like bring a lot to each other. Definitely. That is a great ship. Do we know what the next episode is called? Malice. Interesting. So let's see how that goes next week. Only two to go. Oh my god. I know. It's almost over. It's always Christmas. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm not ready. 2020 is the year that I cannot wait for it to end, but also I'm really not ready for it to end because then it'll be another year and if the shit continues, then it'll be another year of shit. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What fun times. Also, I'm not ready for not having his dark materials to look forward to. Yeah. On TV. And like, we actually don't know. Like, last year we could. We don't know much, an air date. Yeah. We could pretty much assume that it was going to come out this year because we'd heard loads about, like, oh, it's still coming out despite the pandemic. But when the fuck are we going to get season three? It'll be a couple of years at least. When are we going to get season three? We've got so much to see. We've got, like, I mean, the CG challenges alone for the third book I know, Jesus <laughs> will be astonishing. Oh my goodness. Let's savor the two episodes we have left while we still have them left. I'm so excited. <laughs> and then let's watch them all back on iPlayer and cry. 
<laughs> yeah, we'll we'll organize a day in the new year for everyone for us to like binge them without all of our patrons. Just be like, this is the day, all seven hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We are still running our giveaway at the moment. The way to enter the giveaway is to leave us a positive review wherever you can leave a review. We like Apple Podcasts and Facebook reviews, but we also will accept a review from anywhere. In order to enter, you need to leave us a review, screenshot it, and send that to her.materialspod at gmail.com. Your email is your entry. When we get 50 entries, we'll pull 10 names out of a hat, and those 10 people will get some super cool... HGM pod bookmarks and a couple of you will get some super cool merch packs we also do book episodes as you may have heard us mention so if you are enjoying listening to the tv show episodes and you have not listened to the book episodes do go over and give us a listen you'll probably get way more bang for your book as they can be quite long episodes (laughs) and we are currently just started the subtle knife so you'll be like perfectly poised to re-read We the are book. actually like nearly halfway through this all knife. Oh God, we are, aren't we? <laughs> Fuck <hell>. All right. <laughs> Listen to our book episodes too. Leave us reviews. We love reviews. We do. Give us five stars. Say nice things. Thank you. Thank you. so much for listening to this episode of Herd Art Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod. You can email us at herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com and you can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rich. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Lyra and Pan, you can find me hanging out on Twitter and Instagram at Faye, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on medium at Faye.ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about Marissa Coulter and Mary Malone, I am making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at Rachmakes, on Twitter at Rach underscore makes, and in my online shop, rachmakes.co.uk. A huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. We'll see you soon, and don't forget, keep telling stories, and all will be well. what's gonna happen next week ah! <laughs>